0: There was once a steamboat which delivered its cargo of precious sandalwood from one town to another. Once a month, the steamboat will make its long trip to this town where the cargo of sandalwood will be delivered to be processed and sold. Now, one day, that steamboat just happened to be on the same road with a more modern ship. The captain of the modern ship looked at the steamboat, smirked a bit, and suggested a race. And he was mocking king lah. Yeah, old steamboat, right? And of course, the captain of the steamboat, his pride would have been wounded, would take up the challenge. So he tells his men, all right, guys, let's prepare for the race. And off they went. Now, halfway through, the steamboat started falling behind because it's not really meant for a race. It wasn't carrying enough coal for it to last, right? Because he needed the coal to burn the furnace, which made the, the steam. But the captain had an idea commanded his men, Okay, guys, take the sandalwood and put it in the furnace. And now, with this new fuel, the steamboat went ahead, easily beating this modern ship, arriving at the town ahead of it. And as the steamboat docked, the captain came down. The staff at the port asked for the cargo. It was then that the captain realised that in his desire to win, he has actually lost because he has burnt away all the sandalwood that was meant to be delivered. In his desire to win, the captain has forgotten why he was doing what he was doing. And friends, as we consider Christian growth, in our desire to do better, to prove ourselves, to gain respect and friendships, there is a danger then that we can lose sight Of why we grow in Christ Why we serve in ministry Why we continue attending church And so that's what our topic today is going to look like So this would mean, right, that as we think about this topic That this idea of growth to maturity needs to be defined clearly So what does it mean? Right, growth and maturity is talking about the changes in who we are as we become more like Christ. And this is meant to be seen through our character, our heart, and our actions. And of course, people will grow. But there are different ways to grow, right? There's a right way to grow, then there are wrong ways to grow. And so there's something I want you guys to be thinking about. But before we even go there, The first thing we want to do is we want to think about the purpose of salvation. Because why do we grow? Because God saves us. And in response to that, we grow. So there's clearly a connection between salvation and Christian growth. So, why do we grow? Now think about salvation, right? Now we know from the scriptures, God does all things with one singular purpose, ultimately. And that is for his glory to be revealed in the world. So even our salvation has an ultimate purpose in revealing this glory of God to the world. Now, in the Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 36, in verse 22, God said that it is not for the sake of the Israelites that God will act in salvation, but it is for the sake of his holy name that he will act. God then continues on, verse 23, to clarify that God's purpose in salvation is to vindicate His name to the nations as God's holiness is revealed through His people. Notice that? Through His people, God's name is supposed to be vindicated. And so in light of that purpose, god then promised the israelites that he is going to clean them wash them clean he's going to put a new heart he's going to put his holy spirit within them and thus they will behave in such a manner that the nations will come to see god's holiness as they see his people now we see that the context applies to us as well right because we are cleansed from sin God has put in us a new soft heart, not a heart of stone that can respond to him. And he has placed his spirit within us. So that as the world sees us, it is meant to see Christ who has made that change possible. And that's God's purpose in salvation. That's ultimately God's plan for his church. Is it not written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So, if you understand that, we'll see that our growth in holiness and service is part of God's plan. It's not kind of an optional menu, buffet thing where you come in like, okay, I'm safe, ready, and let's pick and choose. Maybe I want to grow. Maybe don't eat like, later. Like. It's not. That's the very reason why God saved you. Now, the big question then to ask Does the world see Christ as they interact with you? Is God's holiness vindicated as you go outside into the world telling people, I'm a Christian, I'm God's person, I'm a follower of Jesus. Does the world see God's holiness vindicated in you? Or does our behaviour outside there become a stain on God's reputation? Are we people of such love and grace and forgiveness and composure that the world can't help but look at us and wonder about the source of our godliness in our character? Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 tells us, right, to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that even as they speak to us as evildoers because we are so insistent on doing what's right, rejecting the things of the world right we're seen as evil doer because we keep on telling people about the gospel that they are sinners ayo you, you guys are tak boleh right even as they see that will they look at your good deeds at your character and then glorify day uh, glorify God on the day when God judges all things what do you guys think now This can be coming across as quite harsh, right? Because let's admit it, none of us are perfect. But if it kind of hits you a little, right? You're kind of like, hmm, yeah, maybe there's something here. Well, what you really want to look at is, it's not that if you're perfect or not, you're not. If you think you are, you're wrong, right? But what you want to see is, are there changes in you that's pointing towards that goal? Think of yourself, six months ago, two years ago, five years ago. Are there changes? Do we see signs of this growth in maturity in Christ? Now, if we do, and I know I've seen personally, some of you grow in Christ, so there will be some people who do see this. That's a great thing, isn't it? It shows that we're growing forward towards maturity, and what we want to do next is make sure that we're we're growing rightly in Christ, through a gospel-centered vision, and not just merely growing like those who do not know Christ grows. Because that's the thing, right? Non-Christian grow as well. Now, if you don't see that growth, if you see in you a spirit of rebellion, if you're argumentative, if you are disliked by others because of your character, if you lack sacrificial love and service towards others, then friends, do realise you are not growing in Christ? What was the point of God saving you? Are you saved? The questions will come up, right? Now, it doesn't mean that God measures your growth in in Christ and then saves you, right? But if you're not growing in Christ, you need to look at your faith. Is it actually a genuine faith? Because if you're not growing in Christ, you are not responding to the Gospel in the right way. Now, we all may have many excuses for our character flaws and our weaknesses, but that is not an excuse for us to say, therefore, I don't need to grow in holiness. Now, truth be told, right? By God's perfect standard, we all fail anyway, right? No matter how hard you're going to work, but that's why the gospel is good news for us, isn't it? Think about it, right? If we take the gospel and factor it into our growth. If we put the gospel aside, we just look at our growth, there's a huge difference. Right? Even as I ask this question, some of you are thinking, yeah, I could be better at this, I could be better at that. You're thinking of people who are kind of annoyed you. Or maybe you honked at someone and shouted at them just on the way here. But when the gospel comes into the picture, it'll help you see your situation slightly different. The gospel... It's about receiving God's forgiveness by faith alone and God's grace alone, right? Faith alone is because we learn to trust in the promises of God, the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. We don't bring anything to the table in regard to our salvation because we know we are not able to change our hearts to make it holy and righteous. Because if we were able to, God is not going to offer us a gospel that meant sending his beloved son to suffer and die he would have come to us and say, guys, do better. He didn't. So, he instead saves us by calling us to trust in the gospel that he offers us and makes us right. It's trusting in him that fixes our heart problem. Secondly, grace alone. Because we know that we don't have it in us to do the right thing, Right? We would never have come to God and earned or be able to, to be worthy of receiving the gospel. God then gives us the gospel by grace, knowing that we need help. We are helpless without the gospel. And how does God work the gospel through us? Uh, how, does the, how does our salvation be, uh, is worked out for us? Well, we see that God does not demand for us to perform and excel in things, right? God calls us only to trust in Him, to listen to His Word, His wisdom. And then through that grace towards us, God is going to work out what needs to be worked out. So think about this then, in relation to growth and maturity as Christians, right? We need to rely on God. We need to see the problem is a heart issue. And so... We should not make it about merely our striving. I'm not saying don't try, but come to God first. Rely on His strength, not your strength. Remember, the Old Testament promise in Ezekiel is, it isn't just that God comes and washes your sin, but He softens our heart. The point of that is, He now enables us to respond in Him and He puts the Spirit to give us the conviction. So, even as we struggle to be better, we win this struggle not relying on our strength but coming to rest on God's grace, trusting in Him. Now, there is still a picture of a human response here, right? It's not just saying, pray, 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 until magically, boom, tomorrow you're like the most kindly person. That's not how it works out. Right? It means being soaked in scripture, reading it, listening it, speaking to each other, waiting for it to hit your hearts, which are now soft, which are able which is able to respond. And then as the spirit gives you the conviction, that leads you to change. So see, friends, that God has granted this grace to you through the gospel. So what does that mean if you have these things now? Well, as I mentioned before, not relying on your own strength. Instead, pleading with God to work in us through the Spirit. To pray, to desire holiness, to be open to the work of the Spirit in us. But think about it. How often do we pray about our character? Most of the time, if you realise something, Oh, you know what? I'm not showing love to my congregation member. Probably, you know, Andrew come with a very fiery sermon. You all feel very bad. What you'll do for the next few weeks, uh, you make it a point. Call up people. How are you doing? Follow up with them. And after a while, the fire runs out. Why? Because you're just seeking to do it by your strength. You didn't worry about why you didn't call them in the first place. You didn't realize the issue is a hard issue. Not a whether you can call people or not. So, that means you want to desire to do what the Spirit leads us to do through that conviction that comes from hearing God's word. That's why you want to be word-based. Now, as you read through scripture, as you see the things that God commands, the apostles write to us, the things that Jesus commands, you see that, oh my, some of these things are really difficult. But that's why, if you have trained yourself to rely on God's grace, then that will help you to see that what you need to do is read, pray, look for that conviction in your heart, and through that, through hearing, through responding to scripture, you grow. Then it doesn't become hard because it's God who's doing the change and that growth my friends is what God desires from us so one word of caution if you're someone here who maybe heard the message partially right and you're like oh yeah yeah you're correct I'm not doing this I'm lacking in growth in Christ then you kind of like go back to sleep don't listen to the rest of the sermon then you go back thinking what should I do or you whip yourself then into a frenzy Okay, okay, I need to go do more stuff, then you have totally missed the point. Okay? In our weakness and failures, we're supposed to come to God, think back of the gospel and the cross of Christ. Right? Sometimes, don't you think, wow, boring, ah, this preacher. Every time, go back to the gospel. Every time, go back to the cross. Talk about application. ah. Maybe you all thought about it sometime, right? But here's the thing. The application is about pushing you to do things the gospel is about changing your hearts and that's why in everything that we do we try to bring out the gospel it is so that we will learn to be thankful for salvation to to really see that grace of god to be reminded of it and through that to love christ for what he has done for us and then we will want to listen to what Christ has commanded. And then, we will grow in the right manner. So friends, that's what it means to be gospel-centered, as you seek to grow. It's not so much about growing, but it is about growing in the right way. Growing as we place trust in God. Growing as we look, for, uh, look at our failures and weaknesses in light of God's saving grace. Growing as you admit to each other, to God, our weaknesses and failures, even if it's happening every day, and ultimately then, growing as we seek to draw closer to God in repentance and trust. Now, once you have that in your head, the next question that probably pops up is, okay, then how does this growth to maturity in Christ look like Practically. Now, in the New Testament reading today, we saw from Ephesians, right? God has provided the church with different people who are gifted in different ways to build up the church. And we see from that the church comes to maturity then. The church will learn to have a right understanding of doctrine. It will not be cheated by false doctrine, deceitful schemes, or human cunning. Then... We see that the Church speaks the truth in love, so that each and every one of us are then encouraged to and then grown to maturity in Christ. And then from there, we see that in terms of growing to maturity in Christ, God already has set things up, right? It is through the Church working together, being rooted in His Word, speaking the truth to each other, helping each other grow, right? So we see the picture, speaking to each other in love to build up edify, serving each other for the sake of growing in likeness and growing in our understanding of doctrine so that we will not be deceived right so these are the three big things and you can see this from other parts of scripture right but ephesians feels good because it has all three together for example in the gospel reading from john 15 which you have heard if you're on the liturgical side jesus commands his disciples to love each other in the great commission right? You would have read if you read the Bible, that Jesus wants us to obey the things that he has told us to do, right? It's not just making disciples then go have fun, it's making disciples, teaching them to obey. And so you put all of this together, right? You draw out the systematic picture and to answer the question then, what does the gospel then drive us to grow in life, right? And we can state it simply and can put it down to three aspects. Loving one another, learning to obey, and building up sound teaching. So, we can even categorize it as head, heart, and hand if you want to. Right? Heart is about loving God, loving each other, loving your neighbor. Head, learning right doctrines, understanding scripture, basically using your brain juice to kind of work on scripture. Hand is about Obeying, responding, and seeking to do the things that are right and good. So that's a simplified way, right? To kind of categorize and think about Christian maturity. So if you can only take one thing away from today, right, heart, this space very low, then remember to grow in Christian maturity, you need to grow in all three aspects: head, heart, and hand. Now We're going to have a look now at these three aspects and see what does it look like to grow in the wrong way and how that compares to growing rightly in the gospel, right? Now the heart. The heart is about growing in love. The primary aim is to build up the body of the church in love, right? And why do we do this? Well, we do this because we love God. So if you don't love God, actually you won't really love the church, right? it will look like love, it won't really be love for the church. And as you love God, you love your brothers and sisters, then this results in an outpouring of love to your neighbours. Right? Now, we can be doing this in a wrong way if you're not gospel-centred. What would that look like? Imagine two churches, right? One is uh, not gospel-centred, the other one is gospel-centred. Both churches are known for their love. Now, in the non-gospel centered church, they would be doing everything they can to make the other person happy. They keep on praising each other, puffing up the other person. Everything is so oh, very good, or oh, music good, sound good, or oh, AB good, everything is so good. Right? They say positive things, they're very encouraging, and everyone is happy. Sounds like a good church, isn't it? Now in this church, everyone's gonna feel appreciated. Right? Everyone's going to feel like on top of the world when they come because, wow, everyone coming and say, well done, well done, thank you so much. It'd be a pleasure to serve in this church, isn't it? But when the time comes for the gospel truth to be told firmly, this church will avoid doing it. Why? Because they set it up, right? What's most important to them is this feeling of being loved, of being supported. So why risk conflict? In that church, friends, sin will abound because what's important is the feeling of love the keeping up of an appearance of harmony rather than the uncomfortable truths that the gospel brings there will be no space then for saying hard things no space for rebuke no space to challenge someone's motivation now on the surface there looks like a semblance of love but it won't be real love because real love will be speaking the truth Now, contrast that with a gospel-centered church. It's a church that loves the brothers and sisters in a gospel-centered way. Now, they would probably still offer words of encouragement. That's part of love. But they will give criticism as well. The difference, of course, with what is totally non-Christian is that they give criticism out of love because they care for the other person's growth. Right. So, when you give criticism, always ask yourself this question. Am I doing this because I'm thinking this can be done better? Or am I doing this to help this person grow? And seriously, if there is a feedback that you can give, that in no way is going to help this person to grow, but will make the work better, don't give that feedback. You just discourage the person. See where I'm coming from? Your desire in giving feedback is so this person will benefit and grow. Not so this person can do it better. Get it? Now, oftentimes doing it better means growth. But there will be times when you give it back, you can do this better. They're not able to do it. It just becomes a discouragement. So in the gospel-centered church, it's the person and their growth that's important. And so in this church, They're not going to shy away from telling someone off if they're behaving in an ungodly manner. In this church, the gospel-centered church, feelings will get hurt. But because they remember the gospel, that they are sinners saved by grace, then they will not hold on to the hurts, but seek to listen in love and grow from it. The response to the criticism should be different as well. So in this church, there will be disagreement, differences in opinion, and hurt feelings. Vishen, you want to go? The one that everyone says, well, very good, very good? Or the one that? Disagreements, unhappiness. Now here's the thing. In the gospel-centered church, despite these differences of opinions, disagreements, because of the gospel then there will be restoration of relationships. People will understand that we need to love each other because God loves them and I love God. And so as brothers and sisters, whatever our disagreements, we must learn to love, to forgive, to desire fellowship. And then that will drive the motivation to make peace. Without quenching the need to speak the truth in love. You see where I'm coming from? Of course, this church is ideal, right? Sometimes you have half, right? Very good at speaking the truth in love. You mean it in a good way. Person still unhappy. After that, never talk to you. You Go talk to other people, right? That also shows weakness in growth, right? But the ideal picture, (coughs) use. you will see that this is a church that practices love in a gospel-centered way, right? And it is that type of love that builds up the church. And when the church is built up in the right way, then the church will go out into the world and speak the gospel truth in love. And that's God's goal, isn't it? So that his name is vindicated among the nations. And if you are coming from a church that's not loving from a gospel-centered position, your love to the world would be same as how you love your brothers and sisters, it would be about making them happy. What would that look like? You will give food, aid, welfare. But you wouldn't be too comfortable speaking the truth of the gospel because, yala, you know, we read the rejection. Nah? If we bring some poor people, give them food, right? If we speak the gospel next time, they won't come again. Nah? Better don't. Right? What does it tell you? tells you you're not gospel-centered you're in love with being loving that's all you are so if we don't practice gospel-centered love there will be no meaningful gospel proclamation from the church now obedience hence let's talk about obeying jesus now in the church which is not centered on the gospel how would that look like well the idea of obedience to jesus is very quickly going to become about performance about ritual keeping right it becomes about observations of rituals see who's able to keep the rules better who appears more holy and if someone in that church comes and confesses their sin before each other habis they're going to get attacked they're going to get pushed hey brother cannot like that lah. don't you know this is sin you should be ashamed how can you come to the church and do things like this you better change don't you see the reason he's confessing his sin is because he can't change he's having difficulties so the difference then with a gospel-centered church is you know that obedience to jesus It's about love for Jesus. Your goal isn't mere obedience. It's about the relationship with Jesus. And in this church, when someone comes and confesses their sins, they will rejoice. Not not that the person is sinning. No, they're kind of rejoicing. They're rejoicing because here is someone confessing to the church. And what's the church's response? Not to condemn or berate him, To lead him to the gospel. Remind him of the need for obedience to Christ. Pray with him. Pray for him. And help the person come to Jesus. The gospel-centered church will see obedience to Jesus' heart because the gospel shows that we are fallen sinful creatures in our very nature. And we also see that God accepts us and has put in His Holy Spirit within us by faith in the Gospel. So if we understand all of these things, why is it so hard to think of each other as fellow sinners? And so, being Gospel-centred, you'll realise that the Gospel is where you need to go to when sin wins in our life. Because ultimately, it's the gospel that saves. So for example, right? Uh, if you heard last week, right? Reaching, uh, reaching out to, to the loss, right? You realize, I really a fail in this. Huh? So from last week to now, maybe your Christian growth is force myself to go and do it. Okay, I make a name list. How many people I'm going to do it, right? Your heart hasn't changed. You're just responding. How long is it going to last? You've been there. You know how it works out. It's all works-based. The right answer is come to Christ. Pray, Lord, why does my heart not feel such sorrow for the loss and perishing? How can I say I love my friends and not tell them about this great news of salvation to them? Do I really love you? Do I really love my friends and my family members who don't know Christ? Because it looks like I love the relationship with them more rather than what's good for them. That's how your prayers would look like. And that then eventually leads to a change of heart. Now, maybe you become jaded. "I pray only. Ah. Nothing happens. Lah. Well, That's God's promise to us, isn't it? That He's put His Spirit in you. If you're not going to believe God in that, then why believe in your salvation as well? Might as well throw the whole thing off. So, finally then, let's talk about the aspect of sound teaching. When a church is not gospel-centered, teaching, knowledge of God's word will puff up. People will become proud of how much they know and how well they can teach. And occasionally we heard criticism about this, about people from SMAC, Right? I'm not sure if it's a valid response or not. Probably it's perception. But there is this picture, isn't it? And what would happen in a non-gospel-centered church when the focus is on the head? Well, the church will look for people and judge them based on how smart they are, how capable of teaching. Can they quote from Calvin? Can they quote from this early church father? Right? What should they be looking for? How godly is this person? How kind, how loving, what an encouraging brother or sister. And you see, right, even something good, studying scripture, goes off into the wrong track if the gospel is not central to the church. So for a church where the gospel is central, you see that still teaching and learning of God's word is essential, is important. But this teaching does not stand alone. It is tied in to God's grace, to the gospel. It will help you to see then that this teaching is for the purpose of building up the church. And God's desire for the people who are being taught scripture is so that they will know him more. And so the goal of teaching of this head based uh, growth in Christ is to lead people to come to God and love him more. So in line with that then, you will still teach, you will still use the word then to rebuke, say, ah, you see, therefore actually we shouldn't be doing this. But the goal is to bring people back to God, bring people back to the gospel. The word is then used to... To help people to grow, to become God-centered, to be more loving, more kind. It's no longer about, wow. So you're sinning in this, huh? Go and read what Kevin said about this. Go and read the scripture. It's not about the information dump. It's about using that scripture to help people move to a heart change. So actually, being gospel-centered, when it comes to sound teaching, it's actually just simply saying, using the word in the right way, the way it was meant to. Because the word was always meant to change our hearts. But in a church that's not gospel-centered, the word becomes a tool to measure academic excellence. So be warned of that. The next time you start looking at someone like, wow, this one has done so many TNT classes, Right? What you really want to be looking for is the heart change. And it's good that they have done these things. They already have it in their head. Help them then to grow. Now, as we come to the end, we reach the conclusion, um, as we are working towards the conclusion, um, We realize that we can keep on going, right? Talking about these kind of examples. And you're like, yeah, gospel looks like this. Non-gospel center looks like this. I can tell you about all the different, different things you can be doing and how it look like to do it right, how to look like doing wrong. I can tell you, okay, so therefore these are things you want to look at. But let's face it, we already know all these things. We know what good Christian growth looks like. If I ask anyone, you're going to say, you know, sharing the gospel, reading God's word, giving our time, energy, effort, money, and heart to God, serving sacrificially. So instead of just telling you these things, right, the point of today is to help you to remember to do all these things with the right frame of mind. That is by being gospel-centered in all the things that you do. Right? And... You may not realize it, but think about your policies in, let's say, ministry, for example. If someone is uh, not serving in the way that you look up, uh, that you're expecting them, what is your response? How do you help them to grow? Is it about punishment or is it about restoring them to Christ? How can you do things in a way? So you can look at everything that you're doing throughout the church. In the different aspects, right? Even welcoming group, right? You think, okay, maybe not much gospel-centered there. If you think about it, you see, actually, there are things that we can think about that maybe we want to change. Or there are things that we are doing, actually, this is gospel-centered. I didn't realize. So encourage the person who suggested that. Right? So, as we see these examples then, how we can take these good things, head, heart, and hand, do it in the wrong way, We want to be aware, right, there's a danger for even us to end up as a church that God will not be pleased in. So what we want to do is to remember individually as a church to keep on coming to the gospel, to be shaped by it, to be molded by it so that what comes out from us is godly, true, right, and blessed. So if you're someone who's feeling that you're stagnant in your Christian growth, First thing is come back to the gospel. If you feel that you're not obedient to God, come back to the gospel. If you feel you should be doing better, come back to the gospel. And why do you want to keep on coming back to the gospel? Why do you want to grow to maturity in the right way? So that when this happens and you grow, you will have assurance of your faith, isn't it? Now imagine if you do it the other way around. You started measuring things by the wrong things. How much are you giving up? How often do you serve? What does it look like for you to uh, volunteer for things? Right? And we can very quickly become legalistic, judgmental, not realizing that different people are at different, um, different aspects of their growth. Different people have different circumstances. We will end up being judging. We will push for all these things that we take for. Right and that's normally what happens right? if you have a kPI that's what you're going to grow in, not the actual thing that you are supposed to be growing in right and as you do that, the danger for you is you might think you're good with God. this is an amazing church man. look at it, everything is so great but actually it's a work based religion that does not rely on God, does not rely on his saving work, saving work being fleshed out in our spirit and that would mean you're not really God's church, isn't it? So be a church that trusts in God's work, the work of the Spirit in you, and stop relying on our work if we're doing that. So that as you grow in maturity, then you'll have the assurance, right, that you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians put it, right? And so finally as we choose to grow in light of the gospel, then we will grow for God's glory, not for our own. We will do things in the right way for the right reason. No longer then will we evangelize to get more people to come in, to make us more popular, to have people talking about our church in a good way. That will not be our purpose for evangelizing. Our purpose will be for making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that, that will affect your relationship with people. Then, the people that you share the gospel with will not become projects. Right? A lot of time, go out, share the gospel with people, they're not interested, okay, date to me, next. That's not right. You are to care for them and love them, even if they reject God, so that as they see your grace and mercy and kindness towards them, they see God. And who knows they might accept the gospel one day because of your character and that's how god's gloriness is vindicated among the nations as a church then we will not care about this external appearance of how people perceive us are being well adjusted or oh, no sinners here everyone good we don't care about that kind of thing because we understand the gospel reveals our sinfulness our need for god's grace And we will care about the members of the church coming up in to gather together coming to god building up the relationship with with them as they trust and so the gospel-centered church will have a real care for real growth in the heart and not surface obedience to rules so for these reasons let us remember to come to god let us remember to hold on to the gospel And as we all seek to respond and grow together in Christ, I just want to leave you with one last series of questions. I know this is like probably the third finally, right? Uh, What kind of church is Mac? Gospel-centered or man-centered? What would you change about the way you grow, about the way others grow in your church or in the ministries that you're involved in? Really good to think about it. Because the danger is very, very subtle. You won't know it until you've missed the boat. And just like that captain, when you come into the port, then you realise, "Huh, I've done everything wrong. I've burned all my sandalwood. I have nothing to offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to think about what it means to be a godly church. And help us then, Father, to grow in obedience and love to you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.